Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace, thanks for joining us for a bonus episode of the Grape Talk Podcast. My name is Mark, again joined by John and Garrett. Fellas, we got together today to talk about a movie. That's, That's so kind unusual. of what we do here, but this one is... Deviating from the plot. <laughs> Deviating from the plan. <laughs> it's a little different. Um, we wanted to bring attention to this particular film because uh, it's an interesting take on a genre that's had a lot of entries in it, uh, particularly the found footage genre. Now, when you think of the word found footage, we obviously hearken to Blair Witch, right? That's one of the most popular uh, versions of that. Record. I mean, there's been... Well, I mean, is record found footage? No. Uh, Sinister. Um, Sinister is kind of like a found footage narrative. I think, right. Yeah, I think Red's I think found footage. Count. Yeah. It's yeah. like a docu, docu-found docu footage type thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one is interesting that it not only is a found footage film, but it also wraps it in a nice uh, candy coating of a documentary film. Kind of like a triple layer burrito. There's multiple narratives going on in this thing mm-hmm. on top of the... <laughs> John didn't care for my, my burrito <laughs> metaphor. I thought it was great. No, okay, it was well, good. All right, I love it. It was like an onion. But, um, <laughs> like an, all right. We're it's got layers. Here. But yeah, um, it's it, it takes the genre that we've seen a lot of entries in and it does something interesting with it. I myself am particularly susceptible to the documentary style film. You may have heard me mention in the past about how when I was a child, I was often scared by conspiracy theory documentaries <laughs> such as the JFK assassination videos, you know, where they zoom in on the grainy Zapruder image and they was like, oh, they circle a little splotch of gray and be like, see, there he is. That's, That's J. Him. Edgar Hoover. And then they enhance even further and they like circle the pocket and be like, you see that right there? That says Mark's next on the hit list. It's like little kid Mark in Texas. He's next. You could still get Mark to cower if you say back into the left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, we're, uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you've mentioned that. Um, I also love a good documentary. Um, not a huge found footage guy, but I love a good documentary. I'm always interested whenever you can take a genre and kind of do something interesting with it. Um, we saw that with our zombie film, uh, Girl with the Gifts. Yes. You know, we're completely tired on that genre, but that one wowed us. Yeah, I think this was similar to that. It yeah. was pretty, took a fresh twist on uh, on something that's pretty played out at this point. Hot take. <laughs> yeah, creatively done. Uh, this one delves into the realm of urban legends also, which I am fascinated by also. Yes. Um, depending on where you grow up, you're going to have a different type of urban legend that comes to life. Uh, being from South Texas, it was the Chupacabra or the <laughs> El Cucuy. Uh, if you're a bad child and you weren't doing what you were supposed to, the El Cucuy will come and take you away in the night or kill you. That's what people told their kids. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I get it. I yeah. understand. And you were bought in hook, line, and sinker. Oh, man. Being a white child and being told there's something called the El Cucuy after you, man, it's, t- it's frightening. I bet. Would <laughs> <laughs> you guys have any urban legends from your area? John, you grew up in where? New York? Yeah, I'm sure there were. I can't think of any, though, to be honest. Nothing no. comes to mind. It's N- deep in that lore history there. Yeah, right. I mean. Just the standard stuff. Yeah. Bloody but, Mary. All your regular old yeah, bullshit. That's like Northeast. That's like the most like yeah. rife area of urban legends. Mothman, all that shit. Yeah, that but it wasn't from? like in upstate or anything like, oh, okay. you know. What about John you? grew up in South Brooklyn. <laughs> I grew up in the Bronx, so you weren't, you weren't far. Okay. But you were just I'm afraid sure of the man on the street, yeah, some urban legend. Exactly. The urban legend was the drug dealer who was shooting people. <laughs> I'm scared of Crazy Pete. <laughs> yeah. The homeless guy with the cardboard. But uh, What about Florida? You lived in Florida for I a did. while. I'm sure there's Florida shit, but alligators. There are a lot of stories about alligators. Alligator alligators mans. eating children. Half gator, half man. Yeah, every like, single person 
pond or puddle of water definitely had an alligator that killed somebody in it <laughs> you know that kind of shit but not like uh swamp thing type <laughs> legends that if i know of any standing water will grow a gator definitely mm. there's if you have let's say three inches of water probably has a gator in it <laughs> can't even have buckets that makes sense i've seen ghost shark on sci-fi bingo Garrett, what about you? I was I was Texas mostly also, man. So, um, you know, some of the same you heard. I mean, but I've always been very much into cryptozoology. So, you know, I read up all about Mothman, you know, Chupacabra, all those Bigfoot, all that stuff like that. You know, so I'm familiar with a lot of it. But, yeah, I didn't have much. I didn't get, like, exposed to a lot of it in my day-to-day in, in Texas. But There's part of me that wish these kind of things were true because they're so interesting and inventive. Oh, yeah. But that's what happens whenever you're playing with low light levels and unexplainable things, you know, like in 2018, we're probably not inventing new urban legends as often. Well, yeah. Uh, well, we had Slender Man not say, too long ago. Yeah, there was a Slender Man. Um, but other than that, though, like... Yeah. Have you been on the creepypasta? It's, I mean, no, it's, I, don't, I don't regular the creepy. Yo, my roommate like delves in that shit. And it's so played out now. It's the same like seven tropes over Oh, of and course, over of course. But, but yeah, like five know. years ago, it was some legit creative shit. Yeah, it's um, it goes hard. It's tough to... It's so sad because, yeah, we all walk around with 4K Ultra HD cameras now, and it just ruins any chance of, you know, oh, what are these lights, those UFOs, or whatever, because everything we're taking is just crystal clear. Well, that's a good segue into what we're actually talking about, which is the movie Butterfly Kisses. Um, I don't know if you have any information about this movie, Mark. Yeah, it came out this year, released October 23rd. It was directed by Eric Christopher Myers. Um, He's actually built... Uh, what I believe to be a brand new urban legend. He created this urban legend specifically for this movie. We actually had a chance to interview him, and you'll hear some of it possibly in the interview uh, later in this episode. But he he created this thing, kind of disseminated it out there, put the data out there himself. You know, littered it around like you know the Reddit and you know creepy pasta and all this different stuff like that. And it kind of has taken on a life of its own. So he yeah, in modern day, he has kind of created his own urban legend, and from that. He's he's made this movie. That's so interesting. So he, he he's created a new creature. Uh, creature's name is Peeping Tom. And he just kind of put it out on the internet and didn't mention it was for a movie or anything like that. He just kind of let's yeah, see well, what I would mean, happen. He with always the knew idea. what it was going to be. He always knew it was going to be part of this movie. He had the, the multiple narratives of, uh, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And but to to really give credence to this this urban legend, he kind of put it out there and it kind of took on a life of its own. And that plays right into the found footage aspect of this movie because this movie is like three narratives in one. It's about a a found footage story where these two film students are examining the Peeping Tom legend. And then there's a filmmaker slash director kind of person who finds these tapes and then kind of makes that his his white whale Ahab thing where he's going to take this footage and edit it and make his, his own movie and kind of give credence and and validity to this and kind of make his mark. And then there's a, a documentary crew, which is following that character, Gavin, around, and they're kind of documenting this, this person going on this, this journey to, to validate, create his own movie from that found footage. And the story even kind of delves into their, their narrative, their aspect from watching this person do their thing. So there's, there's so many levels to this, and it's really interesting because... It's almost like a docuception, inception-level <laughs> yeah. uh, documentary film. Yeah. Well, man, John said, layers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one thick onion. <laughs> Put that on the box. Butterfly kisses. That's one thick onion. There you go. Uh, yeah. 
And so Peeping Tom himself, how do you, how do you bring about the Peeping <laughs> to Tom? To stare down a tunnel for 60 minutes without blinking. Which seems impossible. And there's the, and they, what's great about this movie is the stuff that seems impossible, they actually address in the movie. They talk about like, oh, this guy's a staring champion and he can't do it. And that's yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the movie. They get this guy who com- who's apparently, what is his record? Like 13 <laughs> minutes. He's like, all right, buddy, one hour, go. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, and then they cut to him. He's like crying. He's like, don't talk to me. Like holding his eyes open. He's so <laughs> angry about it. But because, and there's a doctor or a doctor in this that um, is like, it's not possible. You would cause so much damage and you'd have to do this. And they, they really examine every plot hole they address, whether they address it like, to make you fully believe or just kind of dismiss it, they do address, which I thought was very clever, especially in the found footage where there's so many like, well, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. And ultimately a camera works. Doesn't have to be a human eye. Yeah. Well, because they talk about that's that, like, key. isn't like, isn't clever. like a camera yeah. kind of like a, a digital eye, you know, it doesn't blink. And right. so has, that's how. It's got an iris and everything. Yeah. Yep. That's um, how they capture the, they stare down, they put the camera, stare down the, the tunnel for 60 minutes and then um, Peeping Tom appears and he's captured on the camera. And as they're editing this footage, the, the, the Peeping Tom, basically, once he's summoned, once you stare for 60 minutes at mm-hmm. this location, Peeping Tom appears. And then every time you blink, Peeping Tom gets closer to you. He's closer. And he's this shadowy, creepy figure who's visually portrayed all over the walls of one of the main characters in the found footage. So you get a good idea of what he should kind of look like. And he's kind of like a tall, slender man in a top hat type. He's like thing, a, yeah, right? he's like kind yeah. Of, I wouldn't say so much slender man, but he's definitely a dark, Well, I don't creepy, mean the creature slender man. I just yeah. mean he's a slender build Yes, uh, very, and he's like in all tall. black, which yeah. is yeah, like very Man. creepy. And he has like this very awkward way of moving. But yeah, every time you blink, he's closer and closer. And then the the urban legend is that you know he gets close enough when he finally gets to you, um, he'll kill you. The reason he's called you know the Blink Man or you know Peeping Tom is you know because of the eye stuff. But when he gets close enough, the butterfly kisses come from. They say when he gets close enough and he's right in front of you, you don't want to blink. But what he'll do is he has a long eyelashes and he'll like blink give you butterfly kisses to tickle your eyes i've never heard this phrase in my really? life before this oh movie. wow that's a very common phrase at least from when i grew up <laughs> yeah I, I did i'm not. familiar with it but i don't like anybody doing it uh, yeah <laughs> it's well weird. yeah that, we all agree with that but yeah he, he don't walk up his, to me in the street and start butterfly kissing I've me you might get slapped that's yeah. all i'm saying i've never had it done to me i don't particularly want it done to me i also don't want to rub noses you can keep all that other business other than the lips away from me okay <laughs> Hear that, so, audience? Yeah, get on it. Lips are okay, <laughs> but yeah. So he'll he'll blink his eye eyelashes and tickle your eyes, which force you to blink, and that's when he'll get you. So that's where the butterfly kisses kind of come. That's part of the urban legend. So don't he, fact check me on this, but the longest stare was forty one minutes, according to a quick Google search. I'm wow. fact checking right now. Oh shit! <laughs> All right. Well, there might be a new time, but that's what I think it is. So not quite an hour, but I do love that what this movie is does throughout is it poses questions that me as a viewer or you, the viewer, might have. Like a naysayer, you know, as you watch a film and something doesn't feel like it would work, you're like, no, nobody could stare for an hour. That's not going to happen. Oh, by a camera, though, a camera can definitely stare for an hour. Yeah, that was clever. And then as the movie continues to play out, I continually have these questions that the movie would automatically put into the movie, and it would use those doubts in the movie. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it went from... Cause so the, the first narrative is these two students who are trying to uncover this. The next one is the guy who finds the tapes and his family. And now he's trying to like make this a project and he's jeopardizing, you know, financially his life. And yeah, his name is Gavin. And you find out that he was a film uh, maker also. 
who'd hadn't hadn't had a very great film career. He hasn't he's had a good run doing, of it, yeah. He's doing wedding videos, wedding videos and whatever he can to make ends meet. This particular character I identified with on that level, as someone who has an art degree, who did photography, and right out of college, you know, I had to make ends meet also. What did I go do? I went and did portrait studio photography, which I hated. I mm. shot weddings. I did graduation photos, prom photos, little right. league photos, all this stuff. And I hated every minute of it. And I was like, dude, I didn't go to college to do this kind of work. I want to work for myself. I want to be creating. So I've, I kind of felt that through Gavin is watching him like really latch on to this project, being like, dude, this is my ticket back and into getting back into the business of making films I want to Making make. his mark. Right. Yeah, being something credible. And and he, he really goes, you know, like I said, you know, Ahab, you know, level focused on it, like putting his family's financial situations. He's, he's, he's fucking that up. He's neglecting his family. He's going to places to try to like show them the footage and get them to, he goes to a ghost like uh, group that like believes in this kind of stuff. And he's like, look what I've got, you know? And they're like, eh, we don't know if that's real. And he's like, you guys are the ones that believe in this stuff. You're supposed to believe me. And they're like, well, you got to prove it. And this doesn't seem legit. And those are the criticisms. I'm, I keep like, they keep making part of the narrative as you, like when they finally show peeping Tom appear on the footage, you'd be like, dude, that's CG. You know, that's like one of the first thing probably anybody would say is like, ah, that's, you know, And he goes to an whatever. editing group to help him with this movie. And they're like, well, I don't know if that's real. And he's like, what do you mean? You can tell. And they're like, well, yeah, but there's ways to fake it. So every every question, every hole you could punch in this this concept the movie does a really good job of kind of getting in front of yeah. and saying, I mean, and there's a part where Gavin's like on this blitz to try to get people to, to believe him and do this. And he goes on the radio to, um, to talk about, you know, this found footage movie and they actually get, um, Eduardo Sanchez, the guy who, uh, did the Blair witch. He calls in on the radio show and he's like, you know, like, look, I get what you're trying to do, but I don't know, man, it seems kind of hokey. I've seen it. I don't really get you know, like, so you've got like one of the the heavyweights of like found footage of our time, at least, you know, chiming in, chiming in, going like, I don't know, man, it still seems kind of questionable. And so you've got this doubt, but then you're also seeing things in the movie that kind of like, well, it could be. And that's what's so beautiful is this movie from start to finish. And this is what kind of really surprised me because I'm not a huge found footage guy. It does such a good job of keeping you engaged. Anytime you start to doubt, it finds a way of pulling you just far enough back in to where you're willing to give it another shot. Right. Until you're like willing to be like, okay, you almost lost me, but okay, let's keep driving. You know, when I, I first heard it was found footage, I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, because we've seen this done well. We've also seen this done very bad. And yeah. so just to see it done as well as it was was kind of cool. Yeah. I think you, the viewer, should give this movie your time. Uh, it's available on Amazon, iTunes, and on, uh, I think, Vudu also. You can rent it, and it is available for purchase. But I would highly recommend this to anybody who enjoys the found footage, documentary, docu-horror, um, urban legends. I think this will really scratch any itches that you may be having for that particular genre. Yeah. And then, I mean, and even to to get more into that, is like, and even if you're not a big found footage person, the, the narrative with, like, the documentary crew that's following around Gavin, they do an amazing job of kind of, like, from an outsider's perspective, like you, the audience, would be, watching this kind of play out, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, it's really, it's, I thought it was really well done. You know, John, did you have any issues with it or uh, being awful quiet over there? Yeah, uh, it was fine. It was a fine movie. I don't know that maybe I loved it quite as much as it seems you have, but uh, I would agree. I'd recommend it. It's, uh, I, it was clever. Um, sometimes it maybe felt a little long, but um, 
That's, I think, Mark, we talked about this. It was a part where we paused it and we're like, well, they've got to be wrapping this up at some point because the way the story's being told, yeah. and like, I think it was like 30 minutes left. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, what else have they got to talk about? Yeah, so it, it fell a little long sometimes, but I mean, that's not a huge criticism, to be honest. So, um, See, I thought they yeah. pulled that back enough. Like, they, they introduced new information, which kind of yeah. at least made me get to that extra 30 minutes. Um, I mean, the, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it was a fine movie. I, like, I would give it you know, like a four stars out of five kind of thing. You know, if I were rating this on iTunes, that's or actually something. pretty high for horror. I mean, yeah, like I agree. With horror. I mean, you like, we're, we're usually like dragging the bottom of the barrel. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Compared to some of the movies that we have <laughs> reviewed on this podcast, this is uh, substantially better, but, um, so yeah, um, two thumbs up. Great movie. I actually liked the found footage parts. I wish there was a little bit more of them. If anything, the acting there was a little tough sometimes it for the found, for footage. The found yes. footage part, but it worked because it's supposed to be found footage. So maybe that's actually what they were going for. I don't know. But sometimes it was a little, a little uh, much of a stretch, but, um, but I actually was really invested in that part of the film, which I didn't expect. Cause as we've mentioned, found footage is kind of played, but, uh, but this one was done really well. Mm-hmm. Mark, what do you got? I think I was just, I was really into the character of peeping Tom. Like the like urban I, said, legend I, I like the urban legend aspect of that. Yeah, yeah, it was well shot, well acted, and then, like I said, I think everybody should consider giving it some time and yeah. check it out. I'd say my favorite like aspect of it is well, it, it does the one thing in horror that terrifies me more than anything um, <laughs> is the when you look at something and then you like look away, it's like closer to you. Yeah, that's one of peeping Tom's you know powers. Like we said, like that terrifies me. So this movie picked the one thing in horror that like is my scariest thing. I was like, Hey, we're going to make this whole character's power set based off this. But I really enjoyed the, um, the, the documentary crew that was following Gavin around, like how at the end, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but like they really, their narrative kind of like really brought me back into it. Cause I was like, Holy shit, there's a whole different like viewpoint on this that we haven't really been, We've been part of, but we hadn't really had exposed to us in the way that um, the third act does until we get to that point. And I, I thought their, I thought their aspect, their narrative was the most intriguing to me, which is weird because we all kind of had like each each section of it was kind of like our favorite part. Different parts of the onion. There you go. Together we are the onion. Voltron unite. <laughs> it's Voltron, right? That becomes the giant thing. Yes. All right. Well, let's cut to some interview. Garrett, you've interviewed the director uh, Eric Myers, was it? Yeah. Eric Christopher Myers. Um, I did get a chance to talk to him. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of that right now. Uh, we did edit some of it down for time, but uh, we should, I think we're going to put the whole thing up on like YouTube and I think we'll have a link to that on our website when this episode goes up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had a chance to talk to him. So we'll, we'll play some of that now and uh, we'll come back. Hey, everyone. It's Garrett from the Grave Talk podcast. Um, as mentioned in the episode, we did get a chance to talk to the uh, director, uh, Eric Christopher Myers. I have him here on the phone today. We're going to go ahead and ask him a few questions about what we saw and uh, see if he has any information he wants to kind of give out to us. So, Eric, are you there? I am here. Thanks for having me. Oh, awesome. No, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, we, we all watched this film uh, recently. You reached out to us and uh, wanted to check, check it out, and, you know, we did. We always appreciate it when, you know, anyone kind of reaches out to us and said, hey, check out this new, you know, piece of media. Um, I got to be honest, we, we had sort of mixed reactions. We all seemed to kind of enjoy it, um, and I'm sure you'll hear about it on the episode, but I particularly really had a problem with this film, and it's because you picked the one thing in horror movies that scares me more than anything. 
the the idea that something gets closer every time you look away. Um, I got about to the part where you first introduced that concept, and that was it for me. I was like, I have to turn this off. I did finish it, but man, I, I got to give you credit for picking the, the one thing that just always gets me. Well, then it sounds like I made a good mistake. <laughs> you made an amazing mistake. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and that actually kind of brings us to the first thing. Um, so the movie is called Butterfly Kisses. Um, how long did it take you to, to make this film? I'd say we shot it through the bulk of 2015, and it was sort of broken up into two productions almost. There was the found footage uh, segments that we shot during the winter, and then the documentary that's wrapped around it we did during the summer. And after that, it was probably a year of editing just because we ended up with this massive three-hour film, and I was trying to determine... You know, are we going to make this a movie as originally planned? Would this work better as, you know, a, a miniseries or webisodes or something like that? And I think we all agreed, my producers and myself, that a nice 90-minute commercial piece would allow us to get into more film festivals and, you know, have a, an easier time getting a distributor. So, I mean, it was, it was a year of cutting after that. So we only just locked it in 2017 and we've been doing film festivals ever since and just released in October. One of the things I, I noted as like, wow, whoever edited this really put some work into it. Um, there's some, there's some great editing into it. So when you say it take about, took about a year, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. I cut it with, uh, my cinematographer and co-producer. He's a guy named Kenny Johnson and he comes from the world of documentary filmmaking. And I thought that it was very, very important going into this. Uh, that I had a documentary shooter and editor who could bring that sort of, you know, verisimilitude, that reality and legitimacy to it. Even if the found footage felt at times a little hokey, that was totally allowed because if the audience is questioning it, well, we making the documentary, the faux documentary around it, are questioning it as well. But the documentary needed to feel as believable as humanly possible. So, you know, Kenny comes from one world of documentary filmmaking. I come from narrative and, and horror and all of that. And so we were sort of, you know, always pulling at the other one and trying to find that sweet spot in the middle. But it was it was a lot of work to get down to 91 minutes. Did you guys always have the idea to do it as a documentary style found footage type thing? Or was that something that kind of evolved uh, throughout the process? I know you mentioned you, you thought about doing it as a, a regular movie, but does that mean... Um, you know, this was always going to be the style or did it actually start as kind of a narrative idea that that turned into this? It was always going to be found footage. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm very much into genre theory and criticism. And I wanted to talk about uh, a genre of film that, you know, had evolved to the point where we all knew the tropes and that I could be meta and self-reflexive and reference the tropes and talk about them. And to me, found footage is just the perfect format to do that because it is a quasi-documentary style. So it was always intended that way. And what we shot is more or less what I wrote. It seemed like there was there was multiple different, you know, ways this played out. You know, there is the uh, the found footage aspect of it. There's the, you know, the documentary style um, kind of narrative that's going on there. And then there's a kind of a third meta aspect that we're just like outside of the documentary that's going on. There's a they're, they're just documenting that as well. Um, and it was just it was a really it was really interesting to see how that played out, because 
again, I'm not a, I'm not a huge found footage guy. I really appreciated and enjoyed the way it kind of went beyond just the found footage horror aspect of it and really got into the people who were making it and the people who were following, you know, Gavin around like that was, that was my favorite part of the story. Your documentary crew was following Gavin around. Like I really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm glad you dug that because, um, you know, for me, the the really interesting part of this genre, if we take it at face value, if you go back to 1999 and you say the Blair Witch Project came out and for five minutes everyone thought it was real, and that all of these various, um, you know, imitations in the genre have continued to perpetuate the idea that we are watching found or discovered, um, you know, video or film detailing the death or disappearance of the filmmakers in an alleged supernatural incident, if we buy into that, or at least suspend disbelief, the one thing that these films never tell us is who found the footage. And when they found the footage, what drove them to, to look? I mean, you know, I mean, if you found a box of tapes under a boiler in a new house that you just bought, you know, how many people are actually going to, you know, try to make sure that they are equipped to play mini DV tapes and they're going to go through them and watch them. Um, And, you know, what compels a person to do that? And then what compels them to believe that what they have is real and not some unfinished horror movie and to essentially uh, stake their, their reputation and the livelihood of their family on this premise. To me, that was the, that was the story I wanted to tell. And the found footage was there, you know, structurally to support this documentary. You mentioned the Blair Witch uh, just a second ago, and I noticed that uh, you had quite a big, quite a few names in this. You had Matt Lake, you had Eduardo Sanchez, um, and I saw that um, Eduardo Sanchez was listed as a creative consultant. Um, was he brought on earlier? How how did that come about? What happened was when I wrote the screenplay, um, the sequence uh, in which Ed appears, he calls into a radio station, and I had that scene written, but Ed did not call. And I knew Ed. I, I had known him for probably a year or two at that point and was, you know, at least friendly enough with him to give him a call and talk to him. But I didn't put him in there, even though I knew that if this film was sort of using the Blair Witch as a springboard and to say, hey, we all know the we all know the conventions of the genre, right? We've all seen the Blair Witch Project. Um, it, it seems to make on paper perfect sense to include him in the film. Um the reason I didn't originally was because I thought he'd roll his eyes and he'd go, oh, Blair Witch Project, I made that 20 years ago. You know, I'm doing TV and I've done other movies. I thought he wouldn't be interested. And when I gave the script to my producers, they all just went, all right, well, that's it. We have to have Ed Sanchez in here. We have to. Um, and I went, okay, well, you know, the worst that's going to happen, he's going to say no. And we gave him a phone call. And maybe two days later, we were all sitting down at the film office I pitched the film. We talked about it for about two hours. And the idea was always going to be that Ed would cameo as himself. Um, but what ended up happening was he was watching all sorts of various edits of the film as I was doing them with Kenny, um, the found footage and trying to get it down. And then the documentary around it and, you know, trying to put the entire thing together and how do I get it down to 90 minutes? He, he offered a lot of creative guidance a lot of very, very brutal, but very fair feedback um, that improved the film significantly. He was just very generous with his time. And, um, you know, I, I feel that the film is better 
for not only his involvement, but for the fact that, you know, I mean, this is the guy that sort of created this subgenre. So having him appear as himself and offer, you know, some finger pushing around of elements, um, you know, that's that's a ringing endorsement in my mind. Yeah, you really couldn't ask for more than that, you know. Absolutely. I couldn't have expected that much, but, you know, it was it was wonderful that it happened that way. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's actually really cool to hear, too, because, you know, sometimes, especially with, you know, filmmakers and artists of all kinds, you know, when you start doing something that's too similar to someone else, you can get that you can get that go one of two ways. Either they're like really supportive and other times they're just like, hey, I've already done that back off. And it's it sounds like, you know, Ed was just completely on top of that. So and, which was extra cool because, you know, it didn't occur to me until after we had the meeting the very first meeting with him that to me walking in, it was like, Hey Ed, dude, I got this great idea. It'd be really cool. It'd be really different. But as I'm walking out, I'm thinking I must either have giant balls or I have no <laughs> sense of self-awareness whatsoever to sort of walk in and be like, okay, here's the thing that you created. This is what I'm going to do with it. I, you know, I mean, some people might consider that a compliment. Other people might think that that's, I don't know, a little forward or a little, you know, whatever word you want to put on it. But he was totally cool with it. He, it didn't rub him the wrong way at all. So let's go ahead and get into the, the biggest part of this movie. Um, again, you know, there's there's multiple, you know, layers and storylines and narratives going on here. Um, the one that most people are going to immediately cling to and notice is Peeping Tom, uh, the legend of Peeping Tom. Um, is that actually an original idea or is that actually based off some kind of folklore that uh, you've been familiar with before? It's a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. Um, one of the ideas that, you know, I always hit upon was this, this story, as in the character and his whole legend and the rules, should be simultaneously cool and different and yet absolutely familiar, like something you know you've heard about before. And that went down to the visual as well. I felt that the character needed to sort of evoke the the concept of the shadow man. Um, it needed to evoke... Uh, sort of Jack the Ripper, a Victorian gentleman, um, a little bit of Slender Man, various pieces all together so that when you saw him, you were like, holy shit, what is this? But holy shit, I think I think I've seen this or I've heard about it, this. It almost seems too familiar not to believe that it could be you know, legit. Yeah, exactly. If you go too crazy and outside of the box, I mean, going back to Blair Witch again, we never see the witch in the first film, at least. Um, but Immediately, we all draw the same sort of image or a similar image in our minds, and all we need is the word witch. So I figured that if I had to show Peeping Tom, he should also have that same sort of universal accessibility. So one thing I wanted to ask is there's a line in the movie where they say this footage will be found in 10 years. And it's towards the end, and um, that line particularly stuck with me. Do you have plans to revisit this project at a later time? Maybe not necessarily the direct footage that's going to be found in 10 years, but do you feel there's there's more to tell with this story? Um, it's interesting that you ask. Um, I wanted to leave a number of plot points dangling, uh, specifically because, you know, real life is messy and there isn't always resolution, but that I wanted people to talk about it. I wanted them to speculate exactly what you know, you're talking about right now. And so ambiguity, it can be frustrating, but that's what's going to lead to a conversation at the pub after watching the film. Uh, But I I thought there's no way in hell I could ever follow this for so many different reasons. There's no way to do a part two that would be as inventive as I want the first one to hopefully play as being. And quite randomly, as I was drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels uh, a couple months ago, 
an idea exploded in my brain, which is how it always happens. It just it's like lightning out of a clear blue sky. And I saw a sequel that was crazier, more meta, um, and in some ways even more relevant than the first one. Oh, so wow. I'm I'm sort of turning my brain around on it right now. I'm sort of wondering if I want to do, you know, something different first and then come back to it or you know, I'm sort of waiting to see what the overall response to Butterfly Kisses is before committing to a sequel. But I, I've got an idea, and I think I really like it a lot. That's one thing I, I asked myself, and I was like, are they going to come back to this? Because there was part of me, I was like, I kind of hope they don't, because, you know, like you said, that ambiguity, it definitely, I love that aspect of a lot of films. Um, but I was like, there's got to be something here that can be told with this footage, because they're, but, and again, I can't even begin to fathom what that would be, but it sounds like you have a you have something going on there. One other thing before we go, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up pretty quick. Um, do you have any other upcoming projects or anything that you want to talk about or kind of plug you know, at the end of this? The main thing I'm doing right now is just trying to relax and enjoy the fact that this film is finally done. It's out there. People can watch it. I can talk to them. Uh, having conversations like this one, it's a great thing. And so trying to get some sleep, spend some time with my son, and uh, continuing to work. I work at, on the board of directors for the Howard County Autism Society. So very, very busy with that and, you know, drinking a lot of coffee. So yeah, that was it. Um, we want to thank uh, Eric Christopher Myers for taking the time to talk to us on that. I mean, yep. it was some really interesting information. Much appreciated. You give us some more details into the world of Tom and filmmaking and docu horror. Yeah, that's our that's our first interview too, guys. So yes, let's see if we can get some other, let's see if we can some other people like make this a regular thing. Somebody get Clive Barker on the phone. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him about sure, the suitcase incidents at Frightmare. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you've got yeah. He hits you with a suitcase. Hey, hey he sir, owes us an you interview. You remember that's bumping it. with your suitcase, sir? Well. Um, but yeah, so we want to thank Eric again and, um, cool. Check our website, uh, thegravetalk.com. We'll have the full interview with Eric. You can check out more and go look for the movie on anywhere you can rent and purchase films digitally. That's butterfly kisses. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.